And welcome to session 10 of the uh, Millionaire Muslim podcast, the IFG Tafsir. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about inheritance, uh, unequal gender portions, and the economics of wills. Um, and this is a pretty dry topic. I mean, uh, there's always a joke that, that people tell where they say, oh, uh, you know the person who's reading the Quran; it doesn't really know uh, what they're what they're reading when they start crying when they read the like the ayahs about the wills. Uh, so there's these really long, quite um, technical ayahs about who inherits what, and then sometimes uh, you know people who don't understand the Arabic they might uh, they might choose a moment to get uh, emotional, but uh, but it seems a bit odd because it's it's quite a dry topic. But inshallah. It's actually quite an important topic, and it said that this is the first kind of knowledge that will actually die out in the religion, and it's this kind of knowledge that um, often we don't really talk about, and because of that, uh, you know, it naturally is going to uh, it's going to die out. So um, before we launch into it, I thought um, I would start with a story, and I know Mohsin, you've got some stuff as well that you'd like to share from your end on. Uh, Think topical things actually that uh, are relevant to our to our discussion today, but my my story is um, about a family uh, who are uh, related to my family um, and they a very well off family, and they're you know the the godfather you know this really senior person in their family died and this is the person who owned a lot of the the factories that they had and a lot of the land that they had. And he had factories and lands uh, across two different cities. And this is uh, mainly in Pakistan. And because he was, uh, and because he hadn't really been very clear with his will, and he hadn't really um, specified, you know, who owns what and what's going on, there was a real falling out within within the family. And these are really rich people and it's potentially harmful for their business where they've got two different branches of their factory that supplies major contracts across this country. And because they can't uh, sort out their will, it meant that um, you know they've, they've always been slightly handicapped because of that and, and their growth has been uh, you know restricted because of that. And so, the, the importance of wills cannot be uh, overstated. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he uh, makes this as a specific point as a result. And if you uh, if you don't uh, specify your will, then naturally it's going to lead to a lot of dispute. And as we know, one of the key principles in Islam, one of the pre key principles in Islamic finance and Islamic economics and uh, transactional law is that there should be we should avoid dispute in uh, all cases or as many cases as we, as we possibly can. And and wills is a classic case of where, where there can be disputes. Uh, but Mohsin, uh, I know you, you, you brought up some really interesting stuff uh, just before we started. So it might be a good time to share that. Yeah, salikum guys. Um, so before we came on, Ibrahim and I were, were talking about wills, as, as you do. Um, but that's a really good point you made, Ibrahim, about the um, the story in Pakistan because I know that uh, I've heard I've heard countless stories of stuff in in India, um, and it might be as a result of the fact that it is a is a, it is a generalization, but people are generally a bit less educated in the subcontinent, and they probably don't see a need to be as specific as they need to be. And I've heard of countless disputes in in countries like that. 
But also in, in this country, there are loads of examples, not necessarily in the Muslim community, but I bet there are if we dug deep enough. And I, I can almost guarantee that some listeners will have some interesting stories as well. Um, but there have been quite a few cases of late in recent years where you've got people that are leaving <laughs> random well not random amounts very calculated amounts but to seemingly random recipients like dog homes um right. or, or or stuff like that which you know on one hand you can you can completely argue that of you know it's their money it's their wish they they do what they want with it but as i'm sure you you're gonna discuss and stuff there is also the other element which is that effectively just becomes dead money in the economy and um you know that that money could be used to great effect if it were distributed in a more uh, just manner, if if we can call it that. So right. the, there's loads of interesting examples with that, and and also I came across an FT article that talked about the rise of litigation when it comes to wills. So it's clearly something that even people in this country are not being specific enough when it comes to wills, and there's a lot of dispute around surrounding it. And it can lead to families breaking up. Agreed, agreed. And um, and I think this is why uh, the Quran makes such a big deal about it. Uh, let's let's turn to um, and Mohsen, remind me. I want to talk talk about Bleak House as well at some point. I just want to uh, mention really, uh, you know, uh, I feel like it. Charles Dickens, even though he's been dead a, a century or so, he still deserves a, a good plug now and then. Um, and this is a topic that will be relevant. So let's turn to the ayah of the Quran that we're going to be uh, focusing in on today. And that's verse uh, 180 of Surah Baqarah. Ba'da a'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kutiba alaykum idha hadara ahadakumul mawtu in taraka khayran ilwasiyyatu lilwalidayni wal aqrabina bilma'roof. so Allah says, prescribe for you when death approaches any of you, if he leaves wealth, uh, he should make a bequest for the parents and the near relatives according to what is acceptable, a duty upon the righteous. And then he goes on and he says, then whoever alters the bequest after he has heard it, then the sin is only upon those who have altered it. Indeed, Allah is hearing and knowing. And for mankhafa bin Musin, and who, but if one fears from the bequeather some error or sin and corrects that which is between them, then there is no sin upon him. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. So the first thing to be said here is that um, this is actually a verse that has been uh, abrogated by other verses in Surah Nisa, uh, which, speci which specify uh, how the inheritance should be distributed. Whereas here, Allah SWT is saying that you should write your will and bequeath for the parents and near relatives. So it's quite a general statement. But uh, this was an earlier verse, and, and actually the more specific verses, uh, they, generally speaking, they will give 
priority to the children and the uh, and the spouse of of the deceased if if they have that but if they don't have children or um or if uh we know the calculation works out in a certain way where the parents also uh, get uh, get a portion then the parents come in as well and then the near relatives come in after that so so, that, so that's the first thing to say that this specific verse has been abrogated by by future verses but we thought it would be a good point to just generally discuss uh, about inheritance and we probably will touch upon inheritance again when we get to the, the the later verses and it might be that at that point we will go into more of the technical side of things because that's where the um that's where all the technicalities are are laid out but today what we thought would be useful is to discuss how um how important it is i mean uh, there's a hadith in bukhari that says it is not permissible for any muslim who has something to will to stay two nights without having his last will and testament written and kept ready with him and that's in bukhari that's that's a pretty strong statement it is not permissible for any muslim um, who has something that you can bequeath to stay for two nights without having that will written and so many of us have been putting off writing our wills for many many days many many years in fact sometimes and um, if we have written a will it may be so out of date that we, sh we should be really refreshing it and if we don't refresh it then the whole point of writing a will which is to avoid dispute um, will uh, come will come up again if we do if you we were you know to die because uh, it's so out of date that it doesn't really add any clarity whatsoever to how we would have liked our will to have been um, to have been distributed so that's the first thing the second thing is uh, there's another hadith that says a man might perform the works of righteous people for 70 years but then he dictates his will he commits injustice and thus his works end with the worst of his deeds and he enters the fire and a man might perform the works of evil people for 70 years but then dictates a just will and thus ends with the best of his deeds and enters paradise and so it's make or break time with the will guys it's something that is actually really important in islam it's, if you think about it it's the last big action that you're going to be taking in your life it's the last big action that is going to have a real impact when uh, when you die and then after that of course you've got sadaqa jariya so uh, so it's a it's, it's very very important and it's something that uh, is actually quite easy to do as well um, and Let's let's uh, before we get into uh, the naughty subject of why men are given more than women in some situations. Let's just uh, run through really basically what uh, Islamic inheritance law is all about. So there's a really a bunch of fantastic uh, online calculators which um, we can potentially share with you guys in in the link um, where you can just literally go online and type in what the situation is and the calculator will churn out for you how the distribution should work but uh, a note here is, um, is is important that you should um, really make sure that you talk to a scholar ideally a mufti who has experience in these areas because 
inheritance law is the is the law that literally gave rise to uh, algebra a lot of algebra was progressed as a result of islamic inheritance law so it's you know it's complicated stuff and you know if you're not necessarily someone who knows the ins and outs of it then you should probably consult with an islamic scholar particularly if you're someone who has multiple wives or you're divorced or you've got um uh, you, you've got children from a former marriage or you've got you're a, a convert to islam and you've got wider family who might non non-muslim or you've got a, a whole bunch of quite complicated family situations because that's where the islamic inheritance law really comes into its own and and you will um and you will need to probably uh, look look to a scholar but in the main uh in the main what happens let's say uh for 90 you know 90 percent of cases it will be the case that you have a spouse and you've got kids right and uh for those people it's actually quite easy to sort out so what would happen is the the spouse um gets um the husband gets double what the wife would get so if the for example the uh husband died uh, let's say there was four kids there was two brothers and two sisters and there was a husband and wife and the and the husband died the wife would get one eighth um because the uh the, the there are kids that exist um and if there didn't exist any kids the wife would have got one quarter and then the 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 parents of the husband and and his brothers and sisters would have come into action whereas here because there are kids uh, the wife gets one eighth and then the rest of it the seven eighths gets split up between the brothers and the sisters or between the sons and the daughters of the husband um in in portions such that the sons get twice as much as the daughters so the seven seven eights in this case you what you would do is you take um uh, you'd allocate two portions to the the sons and, and one portion to the daughters so in in total you'd, you have two sons so you've got four son portions and two daughter portions so you've got six portions um to allocate out uh, but you've only got uh seven uh, eighth of the inheritance to do it so you have to do a bit of maths and it's it's fairly simple maths um so uh you you basically work out what one sixth of uh, seven eighth is so it's seven, seven over eight, eight uh, times by one sixth and then you times it uh times a numerator by whatever whatever the upstairs should be and and by this point i'm sure that i've lost uh, 90 percent of people because i'm i'm trying to explain uh, a complicated math problem using just audio but um but you know trust me that the real the the key principles here are the husband gets double the wife and if there are kids then um you have to reduce that portion by half and the son gets double the daughters and uh, the parents uh usually get get the same each uh, but the mum can, in some some situations, get double as well, according to certain interpretations of the verses as well. So those are the basics of inheritance law. Um, and I, I, I want to talk about a few things before um, before we end here, before we end today. The first is um, why men get more than women uh, in some cases within Islamic law, uh, and the second is that we, I, I just want to touch upon what it what it means about this error stuff so in, in the verses if you if you recall one of the verses says that uh, you can if you fear then that someone has the bequeath had made had made some error and corrects that which is between them then there's no sin upon him what does that mean does that mean you can just change what the person who's died wrote and just 
do whatever you like how does that work and then the final thing i want to touch upon is the practicalities and the things that we should be careful about uh, right now uh, from an english law perspective and and how do we actually go about you know making a will practically speaking so let's look at the first thing the first thing is why why should men uh, get more than women so there are a bunch of uh, a bunch of reasons uh, why Islam has the Islamic inheritance system the way that it does. The first and very foremost thing to say is that Islam is the first religion that actually gave women the inheritance and so and so actually it protected the share that women should get and no other religion and previous uh, previous civilizations did not really have this concept or where they did have this concept it was extremely patchy it did not really protect the rights of women. So actually Islam was the first religion that protected women's rights. And that's a different way of looking at things. And the second thing is that women don't actually get less than men every time. This is a common misconception about Islamic inheritance law. Sometimes women will actually end up with more than men. Uh, and there are, um, without uh, without getting into necessarily the technicalities of it, there are actually said to be uh, 16 different cases where that could happen. And actually, there's only um, 10 situations, and then there's 10 situations where they will get equal to what a man will get. And then there are four situations where uh, a woman will actually inherit less than a man. So, so actually, when one gets into the weeds of how Islamic inheritance law works, and it's a very complicated system, that um, results in surprisingly, um, uh, surprisingly equal distributions, or or distributions that you wouldn't really think when you know you listen to um, a lay criticism of Islam that it's somehow misogynistic because it gives women less. Now, having having said all of that. Um, it is true that the majority of the cases will result in women uh, or daughters getting less than the, the spouse or, or the sons. Uh, and that's because, as I said, majority of cases are just for the, with a nuclear family. And, and there are uh, clear reasons why Islam says what it says. The first is that Islam is a, is a religion that is predicated upon a conception of society that is different to the conception of society that we live in. So Islam is uh, is a religion that uh, that dictates or that legislates for a society where family is really important um, and uh, single parents and uh, single mothers who are left and uh, left on their own and having to fend for themselves, uh, or or a concept where daughters when they when they graduate from university have to uh, necessarily leave the house or even sons have to necessarily leave the house and um, and move out and and find their own way in life that's not necessarily uh, an islamic uh, way and you know per se and islam is certainly not a religion where it says that um uh, women have to fend for themselves actually the, the approach in islam is that the husband or the father or the son or the um or the brother they these are the people who have ultimate responsibility to look after the their wives or their sisters or their daughters um all of the females in their uh, in their um 
nuclear family or in that close family, they are the ones uh, who have uh, the responsibility uh, for that. And uh, the Quran says, uh, Men have been given qiwama um, uh, over women. And qiwama is uh, a fairly controversial uh, word because of the uh, modern day debates around this. But, uh, but it means that men have been given the responsibility to look after women and they've been given the responsibility to protect women as well. Because remember, we live, we live in a, uh, we have historically lived um, most of human, uh, uh, you know, existence in uh, societies where it was fairly unsafe. And actually even today, uh, we're lucky in the West where it is quite safe uh, to go out and about. But as we heard with, you know, the, the Shamima Begum case, I mean, it's crazy that she's managed uh, to um, have three babies uh, die that, that she's given birth to. It's an absolute tragedy. Um, and um, it really brings home how lucky we are that we live live where we do. So, uh, so actually, coming back, coming back to the very point, the qiwama aspect is protection and maintenance and looking after of women. And so, uh, the Quran is very clear that um, that uh, men have the responsibility. And so, as a natural result of that, and, and the Quran goes on and it says they have this specific quality of qiwama, which is responsibility and having to protect. But also, it does come with a um, uh, a veto right if you want to call it that so if uh, in a household or in a family where th there is a deadlock between husband and wife on what's you know what what should be done then ultimately the, the man would have the swing vote in that case but that is not to say that this is something that should be abused in any way and um, and in most cases you know it's it is a very islam is a very organic religion and in most cases a husband and a wife will come to a decision uh, in in a mutually amicable way um, but the interesting thing is, why do men have this? Why have men uh, been given this qiwama? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it's because they spend, they spend from their wealth. And that's the key point here, that men have to spend from their wealth to look after their, their families and their wives. So um, a man has responsibility to look after his wife and uh, to make sure that she, her housing, her clothing, her uh, sustenance, absolutely everything, and even her daily essentials are uh, are met uh, as uh, as would be expected from a man reasonably um, of his uh, of his stature. Um, so if you're a wealthy man, then you would have to spend a bit more. But if you're a man of humble means, then there would be a certain degree of uh, understanding there. So uh, a woman technically does not have to spend a penny from her own money on looking after herself or, or uh, even spending to uh, support the children. That is all the man's responsibility. So in a really practical sense then, I mean, my wife works and I work, but all of my money is her money in the sense that when we need to buy groceries, then she will use our money, my money to buy the groceries. When we need to buy nappies for our son, then she will use my money. When um, she needs to buy petrol, she will use my money. The point is that um, I am responsible, responsible for the upkeep of the house and for looking after the house. And if she wants to, she can and she will does uh, and spend from from her salary as well. Uh, and she uh, and she works part time. So she has some money, um, but she does not have to do that. Now, what that means is that over a lifetime, 
I will have much more financial responsibility than my wife ever will, right? And and she will have a lot more savings that are built up over a period of time, again, because she does not necessarily have to spend from that money. And so because of those um, those two points, the Islamic inheritance law makes complete sense in that even if the man does get double, you do have to look at it from both sides of the coin, right? Because the man also has a lot of responsibility that comes with it. And by the way, Mohsen, if you've got um, anything to add, then please free, feel free to um, shout up. Um, so another interesting uh, aspect to this is, you know, what about in the modern context where you've got single mothers and you've got uh, women who have, are having to fend for themselves and you've got um, men uh, who, uh, who may actually be very well off um, and so they don't necessarily need the double portion, whereas the, the female may well need uh, the double portion. So in these circumstances, there's two responses really to be made to this. The first is that a one third of the entire estate is actually up to the, the deceased, the, the bequeather, to decide where he is going to put that wealth. So he may well decide to allocate that to um, people further down the, the chain, for example, grandchildren uh, potentially can, can be given that. And that will be a, a way of supporting that particular daughter of his who might be struggling uh, more. The other thing is that this is, uh, a, this is a body of law that is there, right? Uh, and the bequeather knows that that's the body of law that's there. So if he is really concerned about this, then uh, and and you know he, he is concerned about the justice of the situation and looking after his daughter, then he should do something about it before he actually dies. He should he should give that wealth before he dies and uh, and set up his daughter so that she doesn't come into these kind of problems. Uh, and then the final thing, and I, and I appreciate that may not necessarily cover all cases that response but then the final case the final point is that ultimately this is a question of uh, justice and responsibility and if the daughter is struggling to make ends meet and the son is doing perfectly fine and really doing well with his life well then it's the son's responsibility to uh, to help his daughter out and it's a son's responsibility to make sure that the daughter is looked after properly and her kids are looked after properly. And if the son does not do that, then he is then that is a dereliction of his duty. But that in itself cannot be used uh, to criticize Islamic law because Islamic law is not designed to you know, deal with all kinds of people who are going to break Islamic law, frankly. I mean, Islamic law does not say you should um, abandon your duties to your kith and kin. That That's the exact opposite of what the, sh the Sharia says. So uh, we, we must remember that Islamic law has various different ways of trying to help those who are suffering or struggling in society. But if people don't uphold those values, then that is not in itself any reason to um, to misunderstand or attack or undermine uh, uh, Islam, uh, Islam itself. So let's quickly turn to the error point. So um, Ibn Abbas uh, and many others, uh, such as Mujahid, Al-Dahaq, Al-Rabi' ibn Anas and Al-Suddi said that this error thing that we, that we referred to earlier, that you know, whoever fears some kind of error from the bequeather, then he can correct that. Well, what that means is that if, um, you know, from a really purely technical perspective, like someone forgot to list an, uh, an asset that they had, but it clearly is his asset, or someone 
didn't properly uh, follow Islamic law in um, allocating his wealth between the the spouse or the daughter and the husband and the and the, the kids and whoever, then that is something that can be corrected. And that's not something that's subjective. That's very objective. Like the the qadi or the person who's responsible to uh, the executor of the will, who's responsible for for, um, uh, for distributing out everything, then um, they will be able to look to a very objective standard of Islamic inheritance law and say, well, is this inheritance, is this will um, in accordance with that? If it is not, then that's something that they could correct. So this is not uh, something that's subjective. And, you know, you that doesn't mean that once the will has been written, you can go back and, you know, change things and decide, oh, actually, you know what? I, I think I want to give um, some money to the Battersea Dogs Home and uh, the bequeath, even though he's not left any money there, that's where we're going to change things. Then the final thing, and this is really the practicalities, and um, and again, Mohsin, this is uh, very much in the legal domain. So if you remember anything from your times on the LPC that might be useful, then uh, feel free to shout up. The practicalities of writing a will are fairly simple uh, in English law. Um, and I can only really speak for English law because uh, I'm not too sure of how it's generally done across the world. but but really basically put uh, even across the world it will be a case of making sure that you've got some kind of witnesses and you've written it down and it's something that is very clearly from you um, and you intended it as a will and it's something that has been witnessed by the people who can vouch for that and then um, and then hopefully it should be fine but within specifically within English law you need to have um, you need to do it by by way of a deed something called the deed so you need to have uh, two witnesses who have actually witnessed you signing this thing uh, it needs to be um, there's actually a really great free template online. If you go on first, if you search for first ethical uh, template, then a uh, wills template, then you'll find it, and and we'll share um, some links to that as well. Uh, and uh, and it really is uh, very very simple because you can uh, just follow this cookie cutter approach where it lists out you know how many assets you have and um, you know who your uh, who your your kids are going to be looked after by for example, when you die and um, how you would like your uh, one third um, amount that you can decide where it's going to be spent, how you like that to be spent. Or if you don't have any um, ideas, then that can all be rolled up into the main inheritance as well. So. Um, so yeah, you need to have uh, two people witness it. It needs to be. It needs to say that it's a deed on on its face, um, and uh, it needs to be um, uh, delivered by. Um, uh, it needs to be delivered as a deed, and it needs to be kept very safe. Um, and ideally, you know, you might even want to give it to a solicitor to keep uh, in safekeeping for you, uh, and then you should update it from time to time. But each time you do update it, then you'll need to. Um, obviously get it re-witnessed re as well. And the witnesses can't be members of your family. They can't be people that are going to be inheriting from you. They can't be related to members of your family who are going to be inheriting from you. They need to be fairly distant people. It could be friends, for example. Um, people who are going to be executing the estate, i.e. managing the money when, uh, when you pass away so that everyone gets the right allocations. They need to be asked permission of, ideally, because uh, if you're going to trust them to do that, they should be aware that you have given them that responsibility. 
um, and and of course the people who are going to look, look after your kids you should ask them as well um, if they're happy to do that otherwise um, that might come as a bit of a shock to them and you don't want to you know leave that kind of thing up to chance so those are the kind of really practical things that um, you should do because if you don't do this actually this is a really important uh, point from uh, from a UK perspective if you don't do this then your inheritance will be distributed according to English law and English law is very different to how Islamic law does it and actually English law has this approach where the majority of uh, the money will actually go to the spouse and it rarely if ever looks to the wider family and Islamic law uh, has always tended towards trying to distribute the wealth as much as possible uh, amongst the family. And so there, there, there's uh, to some extent a justice element and a, uh, and a, a fairness element and a distribution of wealth angle to all of this as well. Um, but you will not be able to do that if you if you don't write a will, um, because the standard here, if in the absence of a will, will be the English legal system. And so your inheritance um, will be, uh, you know, completely according to the English legal system. And if you don't have any kith and kin in this country, then in the worst case scenario, you will actually lose all of your money and it will go to the crown, i.e. the government will get it and um, they will be your sole inheritors. So that's why it's really crucial to get your will in order because um, you don't want to die and then it's actually because uh, you know, you, you've not left a will that you end up having to distribute your wealth in an Islamic way and that's your final kind of act on this world uh, at a time frankly when you need to be acting in as Islamic a way as, as you possibly can. So that's a kind of a whistle-stop tour of uh, wills um uh, i don't know if you have anything to add yeah a question actually for you um so you talked before about the practicalities and in at the, at the top of the uh, audio you were saying that it's actually not that difficult provided that you are fairly conventional in your um in the setup that you've got i.e if you're somebody like us married and you've got kids and not much Kind of international or you've not got multiple wives or whatever a question for me would be that you have these yeah, outfits uh, Mohsin uh, does your wife know about your other wife <laughs> not 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 to be mentioned publicly all right um, <laughs> um, a question would be that you mentioned how it's quite simple and obviously there are loads of outfits out there that do specifically sharia compliant wills but they're also the vast majority of outfits do quite the the normal kind of english law wills and our specific position as muslims in the uk or for all of our listeners across the world you have to comply with both sharia law and their domestic law right my question is can you get your will done by a conventional outfit because they tend to be i think cheaper and certainly more straightforward to access um can you get it done by someone like that and then just either review it yourself if you're confident enough um in terms of does this comply with sharia law or pass it on to somebody that you trust who is relevantly qualified yeah i think so and I, I think really um it shouldn't be that difficult uh, I know the first ethical approach to the the will is that my inheritance will be distributed in accordance with Islamic law and it leaves it as that 
rather than specifying who gets what, etc., etc. So it could be as simple as that, and then you uh, you just plug in the right numbers onto the you know inheritance calculators, or you'll ask the sheikh uh, at the time, and um, and he will tell you who gets what, and that's that. But um, but particularly for people who've got larger estates, i.e. estates, I think it's over 325,000, I want to say, or if you're a couple over 650,000, uh, you know, if you're really well off, then you should uh, definitely get a bespoke will made because of tax reasons to make sure that you're planning it correctly. And, and I don't think there's any reason why you can't use someone who's not a Muslim um, and, uh, and then make sure that, you know, the, as long as the formalities are met, as long as your two-thirds of your will is being distributed according to Islamic law, i.e. the right people are getting the right amounts, then, yeah, I don't think there should be a problem. Yeah. I mean, that's quite interesting that you mentioned about the first ethical approach, and it literally just says, my will will be done according to Islamic law. I'm not sure if that's been tested legally, Um and, and, and uh, frankly, I, I wouldn't want to play around with my will, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, and I almost think that the safer approach is to write out a will properly with legal advice. And as long as you're happy that that written out will is compliant with Sharia law, then that's probably the better approach. And I know that there are um, someone that you were at um, university with, right, that has um, the website uh is it was it farewell yeah uh, although they don't, don't they don't necessarily do um sharia compliant wills yeah um i, I think there, I, I wills are people that i know who do do islamic wills yeah and there, there are a bunch of bunch of outfits and to be honest you could just go to your local solicitor or someone you, you trust or whatever um so i suppose there's, there's two avenues you either go to someone like i wills who are you know they brand themselves as sharia compliant legal specialists who will draw up your will in the right manner um or you kind of do it through someone you trust who's an, a normal sort of solicitor and then get it manually reviewed by a mufti or whatever yeah perhaps we might at some point uh, if we you know we, we might draft a template will um that that you know we we use and we we trust then we might share that as well but um but actually i mean thinking about it given how uh, unless you just leave it like the first ethical approach, given the how bespoke it will then be, because specific to each family will, you know, be the actual division, then, um, you know, a template only gets you so far. And then after that, you kind of do need expert Sherry input to get you over the line. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, may maybe we'll share it. We'll see. Inshallah. Okay. So I think, I think that's it for today. If you've, benefited from this then please do uh leave a review on itunes and um, make sure that you like this share away and um we've also got uh, inshallah we've got a a few courses coming up as well ifg courses so do check that out on our courses tab on the islamic finance guru website uh, particularly if you're someone who is interested in hands-off uh, investing in uh, you, you just want something easy to actually um, get you started on, on on your journey of investing then that's a great resource that you can that you can look to uh, but otherwise if you've got any questions queries thoughts comments 
um, then please do just drop us a line, Mohsen at islamicfinanceguru.com or Ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com and we'd love to hear from you. Jazakallahu khairan and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum.